Welcome to the Real Estate Investing Club. This is the place everyday real estate investors gather to share their best stories, biggest insights, and favorite tactics to grow a portfolio of cash-flowing properties in today's market. Here's your host, Gabe Peterson. All right. Welcome back to another episode of the Real Estate Investing Club. Today we have Joe Burko with us um, from the other side of the U.S. out in sunny Florida. Um, it is a, it's going to be a good episode because Joe has a ton of experience uh, spanning residential, logistics centers, office, hospitality, retail, you name it. He's been there uh, over 3.5 million square feet in uh, major U.S. markets. You know you have a lot of experience when you're measuring your success based on the square feet that you have uh, been involved with. So, Joe, I am super excited to dive into this. Thank you very much for hopping on the show. Thank you, Gabe. Great to be here. Um, And it's just one of those matrices, you know, the square footage. I mean, we can measure by many different things. I wish I could measure it by the amount of pleasure I've had in each and every one of those investments. That would have been a great and very interesting conversation. How much pleasure we actually get from investments? Because some of them are just, you know, just a pain to be ran. Absolutely. Some of them are just, you know, wonderful and wish we had more of. Yeah. One of these days, I swear, we're going to, you know, because that is the true currency is, you know, how much satisfaction, um, sense of well-being you get from all of this stuff. Absolutely. Day, you know, in the future, I think we're going to be able to scientists are going to figure out a way to actually measure that. And so you can figure out a true return on uh, on life, life betterness. I guess, that's right. In, uh, in every experience. That's right. Return on pleasure. How much pleasure do you get from your work? And I think that, you know, the proof is starting to start starting to pop. You know, the world has changed since the since the pandemic, the stay home movement and, and folks like that that are happy to work from home and not to drive to the office. I think that's sort of like a vote of we are looking not just for you know, having a, a productive day, but we're also looking to have a day where we're happy with what we're doing and the environment that we are. And and I think that that's a really interesting uh, form of measurement. Of course, we have responsibilities. We can't always just do what's right and feels right for the same moment. But that measure, it's starting to trickle a lot into our day-to-day life. Now, not everyone's available. It's not available for everyone, unfortunately. Some individuals you know, frontline uh, individuals, doctors, nurse. There's all sorts of professions that that is a different, uh, you know, certainly they don't have the luxury of maybe working from off location. I have associates that are working, you know, they used to work from New York City. Now they're working from amazing exotic location and are just as productive. So, yeah, uh, a big impact on what we're here to talk about real estate, because, um, you know, if somebody... Now that people are speaking and they and they want to work in areas that make make uh, you know make their life a little bit better, um, it impacts sure. where the good investments are, um, which is what we're here to talk about. Uh, so I told you before we got on here, we start with stories on this podcast because um, everybody has a good one in real estate. I'm sure you are no exception. So take us to the beginning of your story. How'd you get started okay. in real estate? So how I started in real estate was completely coincidental. If I really, really go back to the early, early days, um, 
I was a young immigrant uh, who came here to study and, you know, it's, uh, it's going through school during the day and working odd jobs to kind of like pay the rent and, and keep the uh, tuition current in the evenings. And this one ad really captured my attention and it said, here's uh, we're an office and it was in Forest Hill, Queens. We're looking for a real estate show. It's like, wow, that sounds interesting. What the heck is a real estate show? I put in my best shirt, tied it up, went into the interview. They loved me over there, and I became a real estate show, the kind of guy that comes in into a small rental office, uh, shows an apartment, take the individual to this place, bring them back to the office, not allowed to negotiate, pre-licensed uh, agent. And so, you know, it was a, uh, it was quite an interesting experience. I've done that for a few months. I had the experience of uh, uh, you know, learning about everything that's going on. It was fascinating to me. And then the school that I was planning to go to um, after the two-year college that I was assigned uh, started a new program called Real Estate and Metropolitan Development. I was like, wow, I found my calling. And so I immediately signed up. The next semester, I joined and I completed a four-year college degree in real estate and metropolitan development. That's the cool. that's the degree in Baruch College uh, in New York City. Know and so that was interesting for me. I loved every bit of it, every moment of it. And when I graduated, it was a couple of months right after uh, 9-11, September 11, which was, as you can imagine, a very depressed point in, in a moment in, in New York and throughout the United States as well. Nobody was hiring, right? Nobody was doing anything. In fact, companies were leaving New York City, and um, it, it wasn't just wasn't a good, good time. Certainly, we were leaving downtown Manhattan. It was just very eerie uh, out there. Uh, and so I couldn't find a job. I was looking for a job as an analyst or some sort of a, a development company. I couldn't find a job. Nobody was hiring. And then I took a job at a finance office at a group called Citadel and started as an analyst over there on the financing and loans and analyzing and uh, financing large-scale uh, commercial properties and uh, sort of like I really enjoyed doing that, really enjoyed helping people finance their properties, their multifamily, their office building, and so on, working with banks, bringing my creativity to, the, uh, to, uh, to every loan that I did. And, um, you know, eventually uh, one, of my, uh, one of my clients said, hey, um, um, I'm, not looking to, uh, I'm not looking to finance the property, but can you help me sell it? I was like, wow, that's a great opportunity. And I learned that I can actually do both things can analyze the deal and underwrite it and also offer it for sale at the same time, which I did. And that sparked kind of like the first office in New York City, an advisory office that was focused on both investment sales and finance at the same time. It was unique in the sense that each and every one of the shops at New York City at the time on the commercial space was only focused on one or the other. And so I've done that for a good number of years, about 18 years or so. Um, over the course of time, the office grew. We've had a bunch of associates with us, well over 25 associates. We closed several hundred million dollars of uh, either investment sales or, or, or finance transactions a year. And um, I'd say sometime around 2014, I sort of like uh, felt the industry is really shifting and I decided to uh, make a switch into private equity. At that point, I was around 18 years in the business. 
build a name for ourselves based on good reputation, doing the right thing, doing a good job. Uh, we were known as the sharpshooters. Um, we didn't have the kind of like marketing budget of all the JLLs and the Cushmans and the CBREs. And so we deployed a very different tactic. Um, I, uh, you know, uh, used the uh, analysis that uh, of a sharpshooter instead of what I called spray and pray and shoot all to all direction. Why not work with selective individuals and work very, very off market and do it, do it quietly and very, uh, very, very precise. And so it was my business to learn about all the most aggressive buyers and sellers in my market and every asset class. And when I would get an assignment, I would put together a very short list of the most aggressive ones that are most likely to acquire the asset. I would look at the list, chop it in half, and make it my business to sit in front of them, each and every one, and pitch the deal. The last transaction I've done was a $182 million sale of an office building in midtown Manhattan. It was a fantastic deal, but as I was uh, done with that transaction, I also felt that I kind of like reached my fill in the uh, in the space of advisory and brokerage, and I uh, and I pivoted. That's when I pivoted to uh, private equity. Very cool, man. It's uh, it's quite the trajectory you took. Um, you know, from showing houses at the at the very outset to analysis yeah. to sales, mm-hmm. all the way to private equity equity where you are today. Uh, that was my uh, that was my foray to the industry. That was kind of like me going into the mailroom, right? Starting from the mailroom, yeah. showing appointments uh, in Forestdale, Queens, um, and then just you know bringing them back to the office so the so the agents and brokers can negotiate a transaction. Yeah. Um, so bringing it to today, what is your guys's? What's your strategy? What's your main um, bread and butter in in today's market? So. Um, so around 2015, I, uh, as I mentioned, I pivoted from the um, the uh, investment sales and the advisory side of the business, um, and uh, and moved over to the buyer side. I said you know, at the time I was uh, advising the state of New York uh, on real estate matters for about nine years. I've advised public companies on acquisitions, dispositions, capital raise, both in the United States and, and offshore as well. I've done all kind of great things. Exciting things that got me really, you know, uh, uh, interested, curious about how to do it. And it was really challenging. And so I decided to take my own advice and be my own advisor and put my money where my mouth is. And uh, with the hope that people will join me, that I'll be able to raise capital. And so I did. Um, I left the uh, investment uh, brokerage intact and I have announced to the office, look, I mean, I'm switching over now to private equity. And over time, some have left and some have stayed. Um, and uh, so the focus uh, of what we've done was to raise capital and invest it in projects across the capital stack. So invest in debt structures to create income for our investors, invest in preferred equity positions to create uh, upside, but minimal and uh, adjustment of risk and uh, the transactions that we are actually investors and owners of the asset through common equity positions and joint ventures and so on. Um, What's my philosophy? My philosophy is, first of all, know your market, know what's going on around you. Okay. This is, uh, you know, real estate is, is absolutely local. uh, But at the same time, the external forces, 
will make a difference in your investment. So know your market and depends where you are. You might want to pivot between um, placing capital into different type of asset classes, uh, stay away from certain location, be fully, fully aware of the pipeline that's around you, how much inventory is coming on board if you're building if you're buying, what are the comp sets? Um, you know, don't rely on computers as a go-to guide. It's just the beginning. You know, we always go out. We always kick the bricks. And I believe in creating value through real estate, obviously, and taking various risk positions in the capital stack. So I'll give you a great example. We're now involved in a project called the Caesars Republic, right? It's a 265-key hotel uh, Caesar brand hotels, the first non-gaming uh, that, that, uh, that's going to open with this brand. It's in Scottsdale, Arizona. It's an amazing location. Arizona is a great market, specifically Phoenix and the immediate locations. And so we were looking for a couple of years to enter and to find great partnership over there so we can start investing in Phoenix. But what we saw is a huge tsunami of inventory that's coming online. So we saw on one end the growth in job markets, which is what we're after. We want to see areas where there's great job markets uh, growth. But we also saw uh, kind of like a, an unbelievable amount of inventory that's getting uh, built all at the same time. And so you got to be conscious that, you know, eventually there's going to be some absorption issue. And so we decided not to go into uh, the residential uh, area in uh, in Scottsdale, but rather look for a different asset class. And that for us fit the perfect bill. You know, we found an amazing partner with 45 years of experience. We love people that have deep pockets and deep experience to partner with. Um, and then we formed a joint venture. And then, uh, you know, we're like 30, 45 days away from opening up this amazing structure. I think it's going to be a great deal. So that will give you an idea of how we choose location, why we choose location, and why within the location we choose an asset class, this versus the other. And, um, you know, I'm always looking for exotic deals, deals that are very different, deals that make a change and an impact in the environment. I think we kind of like check the box on each and every one of them. Yeah. Um, so do you guys, you know, you're in private equity, do you you guys are not GPs in your own deals. You, you look for partners and you place capital, um, you know, in wherever you feel is the, the best fit. I'll, uh, I'll explain to you. So we are GP on different parts of the capital stack. When we make a loan on an asset, we are the GP, right? We're the, we're the lenders. When we put our capital as a preferred equity position, we are GP for that silo of, of, uh, uh, of the equity. But when we enter a project, we are looking for the kind of experience that we don't have, mm -hmm. right? So I'm not trying to play builder. And what I tell my partners is, you run the day-to-day, -day, I run the month-to-month. -month. We have major decisions, and we have control rights, takeover rights. Uh, of course, we have staff that goes and visits the project to see how the progress is making. But I will never have a 45-year experience or like in the case of another group, third-year generation experience. Um, and, and so I'm not looking to compete with that. I'm looking to team up with that. What it actually does for our uh, investors is that when they team up with us, when they invest in our silo of investments, 
they essentially have us as a partner on their corner. So we have something that I like to call the collective bargain. And I'll give you an example because I think it's extremely important. And, and it's a little bit kind of like changing the dynamic of how things are being done out there. So in a typical situation, a developer will go out to a bunch of investors and say, I come invest with me, I'll build, and we'll cut the pie. And usually, you know, the splits are very high in favor of the developer and so on. Investors that are not fully professional, not fully aware of how to invest their money in commercial real estate and projects, you know, see a bunch of projects, the brochures looks amazing, the pictures are great, everything looks good, but how do they really know to evaluate the project? Here comes our proposal. Our proposal is a little bit different. We're out there. We are in this business. I've been around for about 30 years now, 28 years. My team has been with me for years and years. We'll evaluate the projects. We go over 800 transactions and calls a year. And so um, the way we have it is we'll evaluate the project, negotiate terms. And negotiating terms with us means we come in with a large check as opposed to a small investor. We'll get much better terms. So not only will we find a better project, we'll get much better terms in terms of split between us and our operating partner, or if you will, the developer. Because I'm getting much better terms, my investors, the investors that come in into our project and to our side of the investment will get better terms as well. And they'll have us to watch over their capital. So the collective bargaining not only helps the small investor get a much, much better allocation of their capital, it also helps them get much better returns. And after, even though we take a small portion of the prefer of the returns from our investors for the work that we do and everything else that's going on, the end result ends, tends to be much, much better. Cool, man. I like it. Um, so with that in mind, it sounds like you guys are, you know, you're involved in a lot of projects, um, just looking for the best placement of your capital. Is there any specific asset that you prefer over others? Or is it really just based, you know, you're looking for the uh, for the jockey, you're looking for the person who you can trust and has a good, good track record? Um. So, yes, there's asset classes. I mean, I mean, look, if you look at asset classes in general, um, you know, multifamily has always been a stable and very much in demand asset class. So we see a lot of that. In fact, our portfolio is probably skewed around 60, 65% to the multifamily. Now, we love to build. I believe in creating value uh, through actually going through the motion of building an asset. I think that's the only real way to create good value. Um, and so we're perfectly okay with development. Um, so that's as far as multifamily. On a selective basis, condominiums can work. But when I say selective basis, I'm very, very picky on where the location is and what are the immediate demand drivers of the condo market in that particular area. If some great stories. I don't know that we have the, uh, the amount of time necessary now, but how we pick and choose the locations makes a tremendous difference. It's one thing when you have to, as a tenant, figure out a place to live for the next one or two years. It's a very different thing when you, as a buyer of a condo or a buyer of a house, have to make a allocation of you and your family for the next seven or 10 years. Um, and so we're very particular about that. Um, I stay away from anything that is what I call the nosebleed sections. I don't want to break records, right? I don't want to break records. If the market is 
in a certain market, uh, if the rents are $3 per square foot, I don't want to build a product that will try to compete for $4 a square foot because it's got some, I don't know, some circus on the roof. Um, I don't want to build condos that are $4,000 a square foot because, you know, uh, somebody else managed to do it and we should try and duplicate. I want to be somewhere nice in the middle. I want to offer a better product. I want to work with the best that I can and be in the best locations. Having said that, I don't have in my portfolio, we're close to 3.7 million square feet. I don't have in my portfolio exposure to office. Office is going through a nightmare right now. Exposure to retail is very, very minimal. It's only at the base of our buildings. And so those two asset classes are also very, very finicky. Um, And so uh, we haven't quite expanded into them uh, as well. I do like medical condos, um, a medical, I'm sorry, medical office. And I like industrial to some extent. We have to also watch out for inventory and industrial. We looked at locations where we felt it was a good deal when we started analyzing. Here we were trying to build 300,000 square feet of industrial. And I'm looking at a market that has about 3, 3.5 million square feet in a particular submarket with another 6.5 million square feet of pipeline coming. Mm. How much absorption can I can I can I can a small market uh, obtain? Right? So as great as industrial has been, my favorite is in fact cold storage, which is a percentage point of the entire industrial segment, right? It's a small sliver. To be quite frank, I wish I had a lot more of those. I can't have enough of cold storage. So again, with certain location, with certain market, um, it's important to mention that not every asset class is right for every location. Um, so the devil and God is in the detail. Yeah. Uh, so I personally do self storage and mobile home RV parks. Um, I didn't hear okay. either of those mentioned. You, you stay away from those two. So self storage, um, we looked at, we just couldn't get comfortable with, um, any one particular partner. Um, you know, maybe you'll be the first <laughs> and mobile parks is something that I'm actually learning. Okay. Right? It's actually learning. I'm learning the dynamic. What I don't do is I don't kind of like spend money then find out, yeah. right? We do a good amount of learning and talking and visiting. Sometimes, like I mentioned in, in Phoenix, you know, it took us two years of visiting and checking and doing before we actually felt comfortable. You know, we're not a casino. I don't take bets. And I certainly am not a gambler. I'm certainly not a gambler with other people's money. Uh, and so before we pull the trigger on any one particular deal, we want to make sure that we understand it. I want to make sure that I perfectly walk the location, know the players, understand the dynamic, and then we'll make a determination yeah. whether to make an allocation or not. Yeah, no, no, that, that makes total sense. Um, I do love myself self-storage and, uh, and mobile home RV. So hopefully uh, you guys get into those at some point. Um, but that does reach us to the end of our time. It's time to jump into the quick question round. Are you ready? Absolutely. All right. It starts with um, any form of education. It could be books. It could be Netflix series. It could be YouTube channel, whatever. Just give me two recommendations, one for general life wisdom and then one for real estate. Um, Mind Valley is something that I spend a lot of time on right now. I have just so many amazing courses um about everything almost every topic um so that's that's definitely something that that i love and i spend a lot of uh, a lot of time in usually my morning start with that and the end of my day ends with that 
the second form of education is landmark, landmark education. It's a course that I've taken in 2008. I think this course gave me my business. I like to say it gave me my business. It is the most amazing transformational course. I highly recommend it to anyone that I meet um, because what I think again, you said landmark? landmark education. Okay. Landmark education. It's a transformational course, and you can take it to whichever which way that you like. It's not a lot about a hoo-ha and, and, and kind of like, you know, big uh, stadiums where people, you know, uh, walk on, on fire and things like that. It's a lot smaller, but it makes a tremendous dis- uh, difference. It certainly made a difference in my life and my business. Cool. I love it. Uh, I always like hearing uh, new, I don't, I don't want to call it self-help, but, um, you know, new new versions yeah. of that uh that absolutely happens, you know, absolutely on some people's life um awesome all right that moves us to the next question and this is for your younger self uh so let's go back to the joe who was just uh just doing those first few walkthroughs way back in the day go to him look him in the eye give him one piece of advice moving forward stick to it you're on the right path it will lead to a lot of happiness in your life. It will lead to a lot of fulfillment and a lot of satisfaction. So you're on the right path. doesn't matter. Things will be hard. Cycles will come and go. Save your money. Don't spend it on nonsense. And make sure you keep your eye on the ball. Buy real estate and a lot of it. And just keep on pounding. Stick to you're it. You're doing okay, kid. It's really good advice for your younger self, for sure. It's so easy to bounce around, um, but keeping your eye on the ball and moving forward. For sure. The name of the game. <laughs> All right. Next question is about the U.S. It's a big place, a lot of opportunity. Give me the single metro you're most excited about investing in today. The single metro, I probably have to say Miami. It's where we live. It's where uh, we play. It's where our kids go to school. I think it's a metropolitan city. I think it's the city of the future. Um, we're seeing abundance of capital coming from various places across the United States and on a global scale. It's a pleasant place to live, to grow kids, to ha- raise a family. And um, i super, super excited. We moved down here four and a half years ago, right before the pandemic. We couldn't have timed it better. We unpacked and then the world stopped. So if I could put more money into Miami and suburbs of Miami and throughout South of Florida, that's where game is. Game on. So uh, I'm going to be devil's advocate here. Um, I I had a guest on a while back. Uh, I asked the same question um, and I can't remember what their answer was, but they, in their answer, they specifically said uh, that they would not invest in Florida, even though it is one of the hottest markets out there because of climate change. Um, what do you say to that? There's a lot of conversations about climate change. As long as we have insurance and as long as we can manage, you know, inflow and outflow of water, I think we'll be well. I think we'll be okay. Um, you know, it's, there's, there's, uh, there's interesting conversations about it. And every now and then an article comes in and another five articles comes in and kind of like rebuttal that conversation. I'm not a scientist. Uh, but I can tell you that the amount of capital that goes in and the amount of bank financing that goes into this market and the amount of insurance that goes to finance and to, to insure those assets is probably not wrong. Yeah. 
Yeah, if uh, if New Orleans can exist below the waterline, then I'm sure uh, I'm sure Miami's fine. <laughs> yeah, I love I love New Orleans too. Yeah. The <laughs> question is uh, about finding good deals. Uh, it all starts with getting in contact with the seller. Um, in your case, finding a partner. Uh, so, what is your favorite way to generate leads and find good deals, or find your next good partner? Well, I mean, we have uh, a group of fantastic originators uh, that have been with us for many, many years. Um, and that's that's our favorite way to get deals. Other than that, I mean, we uh, we are involved in all sorts of uh, networking events and conferences. And I get to speak and be on various panels and people always approach me and we have lunch or we have a cup of coffee and we have a conversations and we see a lot of product. It's really easy sifting through a lot of product. We're... Betting average is very low for a reason. In other words, we'll go through about 800 transactions a year and pull the trigger and about maybe eight. Oh, wow. So 98%, 99% of what we see, we say no to for a variety of reasons. Whether it is we don't like the performance or we don't like the market or we don't like where the market is going. It could be that the uh, potential partner is just doesn't have the kind of experience we're looking for or maybe has a little bit too many skeleton in their closet. We might have a certain amount of exposure to a market that we're not uh, too keen to continue expanding. So it's a variety of reasons. Um, they all lead to the same result, which is, no, we'll pass, and, and thank you for sharing. And then when we do find a good deal, right, and it takes a lot of work. I mean, I commend my analysts. They, they sit there day in, day out, hundreds of pages per each you know investment memorandum, and we sift through a lot of it, and that's the work. That's what's necessary. You gotta understand the market, you've got to understand the product, and everything has to be perfectly aligned for us to cut a check. Yeah. Perfectly aligned. Can be one thing that's off of balance. It can be a great location, but not an experienced partner. An experienced partner, but the performer is completely out of whack. We don't understand the numbers, we don't believe the numbers. A variety of other factors, okay, that I, I don't have to go into. Um, we go through a 60 page to do 60 point due diligence. One of them is before we go into every transaction. We send a private investigator to find out what kind of stuff we don't see, what kind of stuff we don't know. And you'll be surprised all kind of, all kind of things surface from 17 years ago, 30 years ago. And sometimes we take those into account and the answers, uh, the answers still no. And so you got to be super, super selective, know what you're doing. And, um, and that's, that's the process. So meeting people in various walks of life, whether it is networking event or whether it is they know us and they send us deal, that's usually how we get uh, what we call the, the the lifeline of this business. Yep. Yep. Makes sense. All right. Second last question is about lessons learned. Um, not every deal we engage with goes the way we expect. Sometimes a wrench is thrown into the mix and, yes. um, and in those opportunities is the times that we actually pull away the best lessons. So what was the deal that went a little bit sideways for you guys? And uh, what mm -hmm. was the lesson you got from it? Wonderful. I absolutely agree with you. Those are the deals where you learn the most. You don't learn. When everything goes fantastic and you're outperforming, you don't learn. In fact, you actually start getting some kind of an ideas of maybe you're better than most or better than others. And um, it's when things go sideways. Exactly. Uh, exactly that. That's That's when... That's when your partners uh, appreciate you, I think. So I'll give you one example. We did a transaction in uh, early 2022. We bought a complex, apartment building complex in uh, in Dallas, Texas. Easy deal. 
Very, very easy deal. We typically build. This time we have an existing 205 units in Dallas, Texas, and we were going in. The due diligence that uh, we did showed that everything was good and that uh, eventually uh, the business plan will work itself out. And we ran into issues. Uh, Our operating partner, our local operating partner, wasn't up to par. His team was not up to par. And within a few months' time, we realized that, um, you know, we're going to run into a good amount of issues unless we take matters into our own hands. And so, you know, we have major decisions. We also have the right to remove a partner if we feel that the work that they do uh, is not up to par. And so uh, that's exactly what I did. So it wasn't comfortable. Uh, The conversations were not pleasant. Um, We've worked through whatever we had to work through, but I knew that I I needed to step in. And so that's exactly what I did. Um, Within a certain amount of time, uh, we've turned around the project. Uh, We raised the occupancy dramatically. We increased the rents. Uh, We spent a a necessary amount of money that was was needed for this project. We raised additional $4 million for it as well. And, uh, you know, we've stabilized the property since. And we're waiting for sometimes in 2025 where we can sell it with uh, some kind of a profit. It's not going to be a slam dunk. It's not going to be an amazing deal. It may, you know, maybe the space of multifamily in the last several years and every every asset class has been affected by high interest rate and cost, uh, absorbent cost of, of insurance and everything in between. Um, but I can tell you that a lot of my partners have approached me and said, look, why don't we sell it for a loss and uh, take a 30% haircut and just move on. There's other deals to do. And I said, absolutely not. We have a perfect betting average. We never lost a dollar. And this is not going to be the first time. Uh, That's not going to be the the, the first time for us to to lose a dollar, certainly not in a simple project like that. And so we'll roll up our sleeves and do what necessary to be done to do and, uh, and make it work. And so we did. I think everyone's very happy today. Yeah. That's uh that's good. I'm glad um I'm the same way. Like I uh doesn't matter what happens, I'm not gonna be losing money on any of these. Whatever you do, don't lose your investors. <laughs> it's the one thing. There's rule number one and rule number two. Yeah. Don't lose investors' money. Yeah, exactly. That's the first thing. And and it was I was shocked how easy people are okay to let go. Um yeah. of capital. That particular deal we did with uh two other institutional groups. Yeah. And I was shocked and very surprised how the other institutional guys are very easy to say, I just take your haircut and move on. Wow. Not their money, they're managers, right? They're managers. Uh, interestingly yeah. enough, interestingly yeah. enough, what what one of them is local, local to Dallas. Didn't even visit the property once. The other one is overseas, I understand. It was up to us and it was up to me and my team. And it was up to me personally to go there, to make sure that we change management, to make sure that we hire the right people, to make sure that we give them the right training. We're still with them several times a week. I go there all the time. It was pretty bleak, but I'm super, super happy about the turnaround. Um, And I wouldn't have it any other way. Yeah, it's one thing to to not hit the uh, the goals that you put out. Um, you know, you maybe you you projected a twenty percent IRR and you only got fifteen. That's different. But if you're losing losing money, is an absolute. Not that's right. That's right. That's right. <laughs> that brings us to the very last question. Um, you've given us a lot to think about. I'm sure people want to reach out, get in contact with you. What is sure. the best way for them to do that? And then what can they expect when they do reach out? 
Sure. Um, so the best way to reach us is uh, through an email, jb at asterrealtycapital.com. JB at asterrealtycapital.com. Um, our website is asterrealtycapital.com. And uh, just, you know, drop an email. I'll get back to you or one of my uh, uh, one of my team will get back to you. I'd love to have a one-on-one conversations. We operate in two different ways. Uh, for every transaction that we do, we bring an institutional group that takes the majority check and the other part is what we call the club of friends and family. The club of friends and family is really the why of Astor Realty Capital. We love working with small-time investors, friends and family. It's been growing exponentially. It's been going organically. So on that part of the equation, we might say from the institutional group or a large hedge fund or whatever, you'll bring 70%, we'll bring 30%. And on the 30%, my own money, my wife's money, my family's our friends, our existing investors, each one comes in. And that's usually a check size between 25 to 50,000. Some put a lot more, some put much, much more, but they get to diversify. Have a conversation with me. Let's understand what it is you're trying to solve for. Are you interested in income? Are you interested in uh, creating um, uh, deals that will generate for you larger than 20 plus percent a year, but willing to take it down the road after three years or so? It really depends. Everybody have very different risk appetite and very different uh, philosophy about investments. But I certainly think that real estate is a great asset class to create internal diversification between all the other things like stocks and bonds and so on. Uh, so I would love to have a conversation. Um, you know, welcome that. Uh, in fact, it's uh, it's almost mandatory before we bring anyone to the club of friends and family. We have typically a phone call, be you know, a phone call or a Zoom, and so that's that's how we do it. So JB at AsterRealtyCapital.com. Cool, and I'll put that link in the show notes. Um, so if y'all want to reach out, just click that little more, and it'll pull down the full description. In there, you can find uh, the link to Joe's, uh, Joe's company. Um, all right, Joe, well, that wraps it up. Thank you very much for hopping on the show. Thank you very much, Gabe. It's been fun. Absolutely. For everybody who's here with us today, thank you guys for showing up. You are the reason we do this. So if you guys have any questions, reach out to me, Gabe at the real estate investing club.com. Um, if you want to, if you want to support us, just give us a like, subscribe, share all that jazz. Uh, Other than that, I hope you guys have a great week. Keep rocking real estate. And I look forward to seeing you on the next episode. All right. Before I officially sign off, I have a quick announcement to make. If you're interested in becoming a passive investor in one of my deals, my own company, Kaizen Properties, is looking for capital partners for our upcoming projects. We invest in what are known as recession-resistant assets, mainly self-storage facilities, mobile home and RV parks, and industrial properties. If you're interested in investing and would like to learn a little bit more about my company, our investing criteria, and some of the previous projects we've done, go to the Real Estate Investing Club podcast at therealestateinvestingclub.com and scroll all the way down to the bottom of the page. Click on the Invest With Us button. That'll pop up the investor form. Fill that out and we will reach back out to you as soon as we can. Or if you prefer a little bit more of a personal touch, you can reach out to me at gabe at therealestateinvestingclub.com. 
So really, that is it. Again, it was a pleasure hanging out with you guys during this episode, and I look forward to seeing you on the next episode.